My guest for this episode of Global Development Review podcast is Dr. Marco V. Sanchez. Dr. Marco is Deputy Director of Agri-Food Economics at Food and Agriculture Organization of United Nations, where he directs flagship programs and reports like the state of food security and nutrition in the world and the state of food and agriculture. Previously, he was Senior Economist at United Nations Department of Economic and Social Affairs. He was also Economist at United Nations Economic Commission for Latin America and the Caribbean. He has been consultant to UNDP, IFPRI and IADBI and has supported lecturing and research at International Institute of Social Studies of Erasmus University in The Hague in Netherlands, University of Costa Rica and Tilburg University in the Netherlands. Dr. Marco has published extensively and was lead editor of book of Financing Human Development in Africa, Asia and the Middle East. His recent article features in World Development, Journal of Environment and Development and Food Policy. In this episode, Dr. Marco will share his insights on the main drivers of global insecurity and malnutrition. He will also talk about the role of women in tackling for global food insecurity and malnutrition and what are the or what should be the long-term policies to eradicate the threatening rise of global hunger, food insecurity and malnutrition. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Dr. Marco, first of all, thank you very much for accepting my request to join Global Development Review Podcast and it's it's a great pleasure to have you and um, learning from your expertise. Thank you very much for joining me. My pleasure. <laughs> so, uh, I will just start uh, with the, uh, my first question with the report of Food and Agriculture Organization that you're working with and, and I was looking through the report. So, there was... Uh, uh, written that the world has been, you know, generally seen not progressing well in, in the field of food security, malnutrition, uh, are securing food, sufficient food for the people across the world. Um, my first question that I would like to uh, start by asking you is that what is actually the state of global food security right now? And uh, is there any sign that world will tackle and minimize these challenges which are coming up in the global food security area or food, global insecurity, food insecurity area. Right, yeah. Well, uh, I, I think you, I believe you referred to the most recent flagship report, uh, the state of food security and nutrition in the world, which uh, FAO produces uh, with other UN partners. Uh, in this report in 2021, uh, we present the first assessment on the global food security and nutrition situation since the COVID-19 pandemic hit. Uh, and it shows that in 2020, up to 811 million people were facing hunger. Um, this is as many as 161 million more. However, if we account for population, uh, more than half, if, 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 if one takes into account the population, uh, more than half of the world's undernourished were experiencing hunger are of course found in Asia. We're talking about 418 million people in Asia, but also more than one third are found in Africa. And there we are talking about 282 million people experiencing hunger in 2020. 
2021. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, it is important that we go beyond hunger to understand the food insecurity of the world. Beyond hunger, uh, nearly one in three people in the world were affected by moderate or severe food insecurity in 2021. What does it mean? Well, it means that while these people did not experience hunger, they, their access to adequate, safe, and nutritious food was very regular. The increasing moderate or severe food insecurity from 2019 to 2020 was also very significant, as it was with hunger. And in fact, it was equal to the combined increase of the previous five years. Now, we have talked about hunger and food insecurity, moderate and severe. Now, there is also a problem with nutrition. Uh, in terms of nutrition, we have seen that some progress has been made in the world, but the world is still not on track to achieve global targets. And the COVID-19 pandemic has heightened the challenge. Um, around 22% of children under the age of five are stunted, or in other words, they are too short for their age. Uh, this is a problem of undernutrition. However, at the same time, and paradoxically, obesity is a problem in the world. And this is another form of malnutrition. And it's increasing in both rich and poor countries all around the world. Now, uh, to finalize the answer to your first question, we cannot fully blame the pandemic for this dire global food security and nutrition situation in the world, of course. Even before the pandemic, hunger was already on the rise in many regions around the world, and progress on nutrition was slowing. Of course, the pandemic has made significantly more challenging to be on track to meet our commitments to end world hunger and malnutrition in all its forms by 2030. There are indications, though, that the world can reverse these negative trends if both actions are taken to address the major drivers of world hunger, food insecurity, and malnutrition. Yeah, thank you so much for um, your insights. Yeah, actually, I, I will come towards the pandemic, and of course, the pandemic is one of the uh, you know, challenges that we are seeing. But before that, I just would like to uh, learn from you, actually, um, the key drivers of food security and malnutrition. Uh, as I, you were mentioning that there were already signs of, you know, challenges uh, regarding food insecurity before the pandemic also. So I'm just wondering, could you please share something about the drivers of uh, food insecurity and malnutrition and also which, which are the regions, nations and communities uh, who are exposed to it are potentially vulnerable to it? Thank you. Sure. Um I mean, ever since ever since we are producing the, the, the report on the state of food security and nutrition in the world uh, in, in partnership with, with, with other UN partners from 2017, we have been identifying the major drivers. Uh, and why is that? Because after, after a long, uh, you know, decline, more or less in 2015, the trend reversed. And now we started to observe an increasing hunger. So we, we, we really, as FAO and with the other partners, uh, started to, uh, to try to understand why is this, why is this happening, uh, right? And then uh, we came across evidence and, and by doing rigorous analysis, uh, 
that uh, basically point to three major drivers uh, that are external to the food system. These are conflict in many countries and in many parts of the world, climate variability and extremes, which basically affect many countries in the world and regions, and economic slowdowns and downturns. Again, as I said before, we call these external drivers to the food system because they are exogenous to the food system. They are there and they predetermine what, what outcomes we have within the food system, but they are not really something that it's originating from the food system. Now, within the food system, the food system, sorry, we have identified a very important driver within the system. Uh, there are many, many, many factors that are uh, that have risen the the cost and the unaffordability of healthy diets. Okay, uh, so healthy diets are very, very costly, and they are unaffordable for many people. Uh, now, let me tell you something. Uh, if if you see economic downturns and climate events, they are affecting many countries in the world. Conflict is more localized though, okay? Now, incredibly, around 3 billion people in the world cannot afford a healthy diet. And this problem is also seen in both rich countries as well as developing countries. In the last 10 years, moreover, these drivers have been increasing in frequency and intensity. You have seen the climate change events, right? I mean, they are becoming really stronger and more frequent exactly. uh, right and, and and a problem we have been observing is that some of these drivers occur simultaneously in many countries there are countries in sub-saharan africa that for example are experiencing conflict climate climate change events that are very very unfavorable to agricultural production like drought and they are also experiencing economic stagnation so they are all combining the effects to create, you know, a pretty dire situation in terms of food security and nutrition. Joe, you, you wanna probably you will ask more about COVID, but 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 clearly COVID it is a health crisis, right? It is started as a health crisis, but then the measures governments have put in place to contain it, right, have resulted in an economic downturn. You know the world economy has shown in 2021 a very important contraction as well as the year before. That's an economic downturn. And economic downturns, as I said before, are among the key drivers of food insecurity and nutrition. Uh, you know during the pandemic, the economic downturn is reflected in the loss of jobs of millions of people and income sources. Some school meal programs have been interrupted and millions of people have seen how their economic capacity to access nutritious food is gone, right? Uh, so, so there you go, you have all these drivers, these drivers and these drivers are combining their effects, making it more challenging for us. Now, on top of these drivers, in order to finalize my answer to, to your question, we need to take into account something that is making their impacts be felt much strongly, 
particularly among the most vulnerable populations. And this is the structural, the structural high levels of inequality, right? I mean, I'm saying here inequality in general, but here is inequality in terms of income, assets, access to health services, and so on, right? And these structural inequalities are making it harder for many people to cope with these major drivers of food security, of food insecurity and nutrition in the world. Yeah, thank you so much uh, for this insight, Dr. Marco. Um, yeah, as you are, you shared that you know there are uh, different drivers, and climate change is also one of the emerging uh, issues. And also, it, it brings me like to a question that you know the conflict or the climate change and all these basic issues which are are raising the global food insecurities. They're also, uh, I mean, they're also increasing the kind of, you know, uh, vulnerability in the people in terms of their migration. Like, for example, uh, there is a migration because of the conflict in the region or because of uh, of climate changes. And uh, and it's not only migration from one place to another place. What, what we have, uh, like what I was reading uh, and uh, looking for is that there is also an increasing trend of farmers shifting from, you know, agricultural works to precarious work. And uh, for example, if I say in context of India, more than uh, 50% of household income of, uh, you know, people who are working at agrarian work, it comes from non-farm work nowadays. So, and uh, and it is it is because of the many other many factors uh, which you have also uh, highlighted. So I just would like to understand that uh, how how do you see such shifts? Like for example, in terms of farmers shifting from agricultural work to non-agriculture work, and uh, um, do you think that such trends and distress can further elevate global food insecurity? And and also, how do we see the role of FOA, Food and Agriculture Organization, in such context? Sure. I mean, uh, honestly, some of the drivers that I that I listed before, uh, the drivers of food insecurity, uh, would probably uh, prompt many people to leave agriculture. And we have seen it particularly in the case of conflict uh, and also climate change. You know, this, this, these are these are already proven to be. Uh, key uh, determinants of migration, right? But let's put that aside for a second. Uh, uh, you know, the, the shift that you referred to may also be due to something uh, that we know as the process of a structural transformation of countries, and in which economies move away from relying on agriculture, or mostly on agriculture, due to productivity growth that displaces people out of agriculture, and into manufacturing and services sectors. Of course, this process is quite country-specific and depends on past policies as well. But in some countries, like India, for example, service-led development has provided an alternative to agriculture skipping manufacturing-led development, while low-income countries, such as, for example, Kenya or Cambodia, remain predominantly agricultural. So we have to take into account this, this structural uh, transformation of the countries and their economies, uh, which is unavoidable and is historically happening in many countries in the world. 
uh, India has undergone it. And part of the, of the reason why a lot of people are living like that. But this said, the problem, of course, when people are moving out of agriculture, not because there is productivity growth that leads to higher incomes, but because there is a lack of assets to become productive, which is particularly the case of millions of small farmers in low-income countries. And I would, I would bet you that there is also the case of many farmers, small farmers in India. It is fair to say, though, that due to lack of resilience to climate change, also many small farmers are not in a position to produce anymore, even in middle-income countries. Now, the lack of assets is particularly problematic. FAO analysis uh, does show that there is an increased concentration of farmland among large farms as economies grow and increase inequality in that land distribution across farmers. Small farmers are among, and, and, and between also in the small farmers, particularly women and youth, do not have assets to produce. Even if a lot of the food that we eat comes from them, which is a huge contradiction, right? Now, with lack of assets and with agriculture being perceived as a risky operation, and more and more so due to climate change, Small farmers also do not have the collateral to access credit, for example. They do not have the tools to produce and policies and development aid may not be being successful in empowering them to become more productive and resilient. But the problem goes beyond the farm, and this is very important to keep in mind. FAO is the Food and Agriculture Organization of the UN, right? So as such, we have come to understand that agriculture cannot be seen in isolation. Even if you provide small farmers with the tools they need to keep in business, it is important to strengthen the links between on-farm activities on one hand and off-farm activities in rural areas. For example, packing, distribution, storage, and so on. And the links with the small cities, cities and towns to reach big cities through expanded markets along the food supply chain continuum on the other hand. So this is also very good to create employment, but it needs an agri-food systems perspective, which many countries don't have. So more investment is needed in the agri-food sector, not only the primary production in agriculture. More investment is needed in the agri-food sector, not only to contribute to increase domestic food production, to more diversification and resilient systems, but also to provide livelihoods and jobs in the sector. This gives actors choice, meaning whether to stay in agriculture or whether to be part of the economy activity or farm in the rural sector. Now, as FAO, of course, we cannot just, you know, keep on saying these things without doing anything. And we have been working on the fundamental principles for responsible investments that need to be respected. And this includes promoting corporate social responsibility and decent work standards, respecting existing rights to land and natural resources, strengthening food security and financial and value chain inclusiveness, and creating employment opportunities for the rural poor and other disadvantaged groups, which are the reason why in the lack of them, people tend to live. Now, it's important to promote not only more, but also better employment opportunities and reforms are needed for that. It is important to extend the outreach 
of the international labor standards to rural areas and informal economy. Yeah, thank you so much, uh, Dr. Marco. And uh, I was uh, just uh, you know, thinking about, yeah, of course, uh, the former primary agriculture is important, as you said, and also the storage of food and you know, infrastructure is equally important in context of less developed countries and developing countries. Also, the another concern that uh, I was uh, thinking to ask you is about women. I mean, women have always uh, supplied a critical contribution by engaging in intensive farm work, especially if, like, since I'm from South Asian context, so I'm talking about that context. So, uh, but largely, uh, their labor is, you know, remains un- unacknowledged. So, what is your reflections and experiences related to it and uh, how uh, how we can you know uh, understand the role of women in tackling food security uh, insecurity and malnutrition where do we locate actually women's contribution in in this regard sure uh, this is an important question actually uh, so i'm happy you ask it uh, i mean historically structural inequalities in so many domains put women in relative disadvantage, which reduces their productive and income-generating capacities. And the structural inequalities, I said, in so many domains, because they are not just economical, but it has to be with culture, traditions, uh, you know, and family uh, uh, traditions even, uh, and, and, and different settings that, that, that create all these structural inequalities. Uh, and surprisingly, women tend to be disproportionately affected by health and economic crisis in a number of areas, included but not limited to food security and nutrition, but also health, time burden, and productive and economic dimensions. Uh, unfortunately, this is the case in the world. Even if women, as we know it, are key actors in our development, and this must be recognized to once and for all eliminate gender inequalities. For example, the role of women and mothers in our nutrition, particularly during pregnancy and after birth, defines everybody's development capabilities for life. Now, women have been particularly hard uh, hit by the economic and social fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this is an example of the structural inequalities that make them more fragile. Many women, as a result of the pandemic, has been pushed into extreme poverty than men. Uh, more women than men also face higher job losses, uh, less uh, or drinking hours uh, uh, to work. Uh, and it's, it's, they're facing a, a number of challenges. At the global level, if, if we want to translate this, this uh, let's say vulnerabilities into numbers, at the global level as FAO, the gender gap in the prevalence of moderate or severe food insecurity has grown even larger in the year of the COVID-19 pandemic, with the prevalence of moderate or severe food insecurity being 10% higher among women than men in 2020, compared to 6% in 2019. Now, there are a number of policies and actions that need to be implemented to address this problem. Policy responses need to focus on women's roles in agri-food systems and ensure that the multiple needs as guardians of household, food security, food producers, fire managers, processors, traders, wage workers, or entrepreneurs are adequately addressed. 
Now, did you merely level in the playing field? Policies and interventions are needed to strengthen women's roles in agri-food systems and their decision-making capacity, which can in turn be a powerful source of agri-food systems transformation. Innovations that support women's productive capacity, either directly or indirectly by freeing, women, uh, freeing up women's time are especially empowering, such as making drinking water more accessible or easily accessible to them, and enabling women to engage in productive activities, such as growing fruits and vegetables for household consumption. Now, the potential of addressing gender gaps to increase productivity has been well established, while there is growing evidence that empowering women also results in improved nutritional outcomes for their children. So it's a very cost-effective intervention to invest in women. Thank you very much. This is very insightful. I also would like to uh, ask you, given the fact that we are witnessing COVID and and its its impact in every aspect of our life. And but um, if if I just may ask, like, how do we look at the impact of uh, you know COVID um, on 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 issues related to food and agriculture? Uh, and and what is actually uh, the way forward to deal with such crisis uh, impact? Well, you know, COVID is just a reminder uh, to us that uh, shocks that challenge food in, food security and nutrition will continue to occur. Uh, there will be, uh, and these shocks, uh, like COVID nineteen in particular are that type of shock that cannot be anticipated. And that's a problem. Uh, because usually uh, one, may, one may resort to early warning systems that, that somehow help you uh, manage risks. But uh, so not diseases have shown us that there's a huge risk of shocks like COVID-19 happening, uh, whereby policymakers researchers, and so on and so forth, cannot have capacity to anticipate their occurrence. Uh, now, as I said before, before the pandemic, there were already heat drivers happening in the world that were really damaging our food security and nutrition. Conflicts, climate streams, and economic swings, right? And they, the, the problem is these swings will not disappear. They will continue to occur and probably increasingly occur in combinations. Right? Uh, and at the same time, as I said before, we're also facing persistent and high levels of inequality in all its dimensions. And the unaffordability of healthy diets are creating structural issues that cannot be resolved without transformative actions. So, with COVID now here and, and you know, lingering uh, in the very short term, it is critical that policymakers keep food supply chains uninterrupted, while social protection systems need to ensure that the most vulnerable populations have access to nutritious food. That's very critical. But in the medium to long term, the way forward lies in transforming 
I would argue, food systems. And this requires building greater resilience to the major drivers that I have mentioned uh, before, addressing also structural inequalities and ensuring affordable, healthy diets that are sustainable and inclusive. Now, depending on the driver or combination of drivers confronting a country in the state of food security and nutrition in the World Report for 2021, we recommend six pathways towards agri-food systems transformation that will achieve this. And those transformative pathways are not easy to undergo. They require engagement from all stakeholders. It requires governments to be more disciplined in terms of how they allot the public resources to the investments that are needed. And it requires international community, particularly those that are in a position to help the low-income countries to put more on the table to scale up transformative investments. Uh, I could talk more about the, the, the transformative pathways if there were time, but the critical aspect of all of them is that they are transformative and they need to look at the problem from a systems perspective. Yeah, I was just like going through this website of uh, Food and Agriculture Organization and it was uh, really uh, disturbing for me to see that there is an increase of almost 322 million people uh, in, in terms of hunger and in global food security. So, uh, and, and then I was just thinking about the health crisis that we are dealing with but but as as you already mentioned that we uh, the, the possible way is to to create a resilience for these drivers that you were talking about but i i just want to understand that uh, how actually food and agriculture organization works and what actually based on your own expertise and experience and research what uh, you would suggest uh, in long term policy uh, to the actually international communities as well as uh, the, the countries who are uh, witnessing you know challenges because of these main drivers of global insecurity thank you sure no i mean as i said before we have we have already uh, proposed six transformative pathways Uh, that countries need to undertake depending on how they are being affected by the key, key drivers. Uh, I give you an example. In conflict settings, right? Conflict settings, conflict areas, it is necessary to integrate humanitarian development and peace building policies. Okay? So far, so far we have we have focused a lot on the humanitarian aspect uh, of these settings. The international community has been attending to these problems and the peace building policies. But we haven't done too much on the development part. So we need peace building efforts uh, linked to livelihood support, to nutrition sensitive social protection and food production and supply programs to ensure the functioning of food supply chains in conflict settings. And this also requires community-based approaches because we need to link up all the stakeholders to gain legitimacy of the process. In conflict areas, it is the time now, and FAO is working for that, not only to take care of the humanitarian and peace-building aspect, but it is necessary to look at 
how to build economic uh, security and resilience of the communities that are being affected. Because that is the only way everybody starts feeling accounted for and productive and conflict or the likelihood of conflict is minimized. Now, that's one, one aspect. Another aspect is climate. In, in, in climate, and, and this affects many countries in the world, it is important to scale up climate resilience across the food systems. And this is, this is, this is necessary to reduce climate-related risks and to be able to adapt to climate change. And this requires climate risk monitoring and early warning systems, which FAO is trying to put in place for member countries. Okay? And it also requires improved access and management of natural productive, productive assets. So as FAO, we are trying to work with countries as well in trying to understand how to make the best and more equitable use of natural assets. Now, that's for climate. But remember, one of the key drivers is economic downturns. So we need to also strengthen the resilience of the most vulnerable to economic adversity. And that means we need to strengthen agri-food productivity and market linkages along the food supply chain. It is important, and we are trying to work with countries to help them put in place very timely policies that help them curb rises in food prices and also to avoid excessive price volatility. It is important that they have policies to boost job creation. And again, in many of these policy recommendations, FAO continues to advocate for the expansion of social protection schemes. Now, another area where we are trying to work a lot is how to, how to intervene along the supply chain to lower the cost of nutritious foods. Believe it or not, for many countries, you know, eating staples is the only way because fruits and vegetables are so expensive or meats are so expensive that people cannot afford a healthy diet. So we are trying to work with countries to step up investment to achieve a more diverse and productive agricultural sector, to increase the efficiency of food value chains, also to reduce food losses and waste, and promote nutritious foods. If countries have the technology and farmers are empowered and become climate resilient to produce more fruits and vegetables, believe it or not, the cost of the healthy diet that many millions of people in the world cannot afford will come down. Now, uh, it is also important that to eat healthy, you tackle behavior. And so FAU is also working with governments to strengthen food environment and change consumer behavior to promote healthy diets. And here we are working with a bunch of policies. You know, this, this include, for example, food uh, procurement and services policies, improving trade standards with a nutrition-oriented lens, taxing energy-dense foods, and of course, enacting legislation on food, and market, food marketing, food labeling, and other regulations for industrially produced trans fats. Now, last but not least, all these efforts will not bear fruit if we don't tackle poverty and structural inequalities, right? So it's important to empower vulnerable and marginalized groups 
marginalized populations. It's important to reduce gender inequalities, as we have already talked about. And it is important to support women's economic activities and ensure that resources are more uh, equally distributed. So this our area where FAO is working with country offices uh, in, in many countries, engaging with stakeholders, with governments, civil society, private sector, to put in place programs that enable these transformative changes in the medium to long term. Over to you. Thank you for this. This was really an insightful uh, learning from you. Uh, my last question, actually, I mean, where, where do we see the challenges uh, while, while implementing uh, these programs in, at the structural level or at the community level? I mean, um, the, the, the insights that you share are very, very important and, and they, are, they are meaningful. So I'm just wondering... Uh, what are the challenges that one might, you know, face while implementing this program? Yeah, well, there are two challenges. I mean, uh, before 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 talking about challenges, uh, it's important to underline that we know what needs to be done. Okay, we we know what needs to be done. Uh, maybe three challenges. We, we we know what needs to be done, but but you need three things to happen. And, and, and the first two things uh, usually face a lot of uh, opposition, you know. Uh, one is, in order, uh, you, you need investments, okay? You need investments. And to invest, we are confronting a huge resource gap, okay? So uh, development aid is no longer enough to confront the multiple challenges. Uh, so that's a key challenge. How do we mobilize all the resources that are needed to put in place the investments that are transformative in the food system, right? Uh, and this, of course, has to do with both the international community supporting financially, but also governments becoming more responsible in the handling of public monies. So how do we get there is, is, is a tough question. It's, it's not something that we will, we will respond in a couple of years. We will be working on that. How to, how to bridge the resource gap. Now, secondly, you need to change the rules of the game in order for investments to work out well. You need to ensure an enabling environment. And for that, and for that, you need changes in laws, regulations, and so forth, as well as institutions. And those things don't occur in a couple of years either. They take time and they take political commitment. So, for example, taxing foods that are not healthy was not thought of a few years ago. But through enacting regulation, laws, and reforms, many people now accept that. So the challenge is to make sure that all the policy reforms that are needed are put in place. And that's not easy unless there is political will in the countries. And you know politics is not always so easy to come across, right? The third is making sure that all the stakeholders are accounted for. So all these transformative challenges will not go too far if it is only the public sector and public policy the driver force. You need to engage all the stakeholders. You need to engage the farmers, the processors, the packers, 
the, the, the guys who are in the trucks distributing food. So you need to bring all these stakeholders in the table because the changes that have to be done will go across the food system as a whole. And you need the private sector, the investors, to believe in that the investments and the reforms that governments are putting in place, as well as the participatory approaches, are there so that you've managed to come up with win-win-win situations. So for me, those are the challenges. Again, invest, the, the huge financing gap to, to bridge in order to put in place all the investments. Make sure that you do, you manage to change the rules of the games, which is the policy reforms, the laws, the regulations, the institutions that need to be put in place. And third, be participatory, engage all the stakeholders. And that is not easy. It's indeed a really great pleasure to have you here. Thank you very much for all the insights and the facts that uh, you shared with us. And uh, I hope uh, the audience will also learn and 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 they, they get the insights that you share. Thank you very much for joining me for this podcast.